Hi there, I'm Trudy Lico, and you're listening to Mama's Kitchen, the series that explores what's life really like for women and girls in regional Australia. So pop the kettle on, put your feet up, and join me as I share a cuppa with some pretty amazing women. Did you know that where you live can dramatically determine whether or not you'll get a university education? Because here's the thing, people in country Australia are less educated than people that live in the city. About 20% of people living in regional and remote areas have degrees, compared with 40% of city dwellers. In the Queensland town of Bundaberg, this is as low as 6.7%. Today, I'm chatting with Caitlin Lodewikas and Wendy Davis about why getting an education can be a challenge if you live in regional Australia. Caitlin Lodewikas is a proud Yemen and Gungaloo woman. Caitlin grew up in Mount Morgan, just west of Rockhampton, and she's a language worker helping to recover the Indigenous languages of central Queensland. Wendy Davis has either been a student or a teacher, or both, for most of her career. With a voracious appetite for learning, Wendy is an accomplished classical musician and teacher librarian who grew up in Bundaberg and after some years in the city, returned home again. Hello to you both and thanks for chatting with us today. Caitlin, describe how you and your team work to recover Indigenous languages. Yep, um, so at the Language Centre we just work with a lot of, we work with a lot of linguists throughout Australia. Our main linguist actually works in Tasmania and she travels up to help us out and they do the main bulk of the research so the information comes from places like the State Library of Queensland or it might even just be a document that a local family has sitting in their garage that's just been there and they noticed had a few words on it so. So it's really research based and conversational based. Yep so I'd say Liz our linguist she does most of our work with the communities um, and our reference groups we call them so that's just members of the community that are part of those families and language groups. Caitlin what do you do day to day in your role? Uh, Yep so a lot of it is just coordinating with the linguists and people within our communities. Um, I also teach language lessons at kindergartens and schools. We do a lot with NADOC and also We create resources with those languages so we can give kits out to schools or community members or people from those language groups. And how many languages are you working with? So there's 50 plus in central Queensland, that's the area we cover, Um, but we are currently working on about 13. What is it about this work? How did you know that this was the type of work that you wanted to be doing? Really, I had no idea. (laughs) So I grew up um, in a small town where... There were a lot of Indigenous people, that's Mount Morgan, but a lot of our knowledge has been lost. Um, So I grew up knowing that language was a thing, but having it not really be a big part of my life. And um, one day my uncle called and he said, oh, they're doing a Yiman, so that's one of my groups, a Yiman language recovery workshop in Bundaberg. Do you want to come along? And I was like, okay, is it free? I'm there. (laughs) So um, yeah, just one day I came along to a workshop because I thought it would be very interesting. And while I was there, my mind was blown. I just never thought I was missing that part of me. And yeah, just been passionate about it ever since. And what has it meant for you personally? What change has it made in your life now being more connected to traditional languages? It's actually connected me to a lot of family I didn't know were out there. And um, also recovering these languages and seeing that everyone that comes to these workshops feels the same as me, that 
just you see that moment where their mind is just blown and they never thought this could happen or they never thought they'd ever be speaking their language they thought it was lost Wendy when you graduated from high school and decided to study classical music why did you leave town uh well there was nowhere here in Bundaberg that you could do that so there was only a very small university campus here and it didn't offer those courses so to do um, what I wanted to do at that time you had to leave Bundaberg and go to a bigger centre so that would just either for me that was Brisbane or Toowoomba and I went to Toowoomba. And was that common amongst your year as you graduated from school? Were, were there many people having to face that decision of leaving town? Yeah it was the norm rather than I think now some sort of 20 years or so later. Uh, it's it's easier for year 12 students to stay in the region and get a tertiary education. Whereas when I was finishing high school in 1990, you either went away or you were staying here to work or start a trade or do something else that was available here, but it wasn't usually tertiary education. Hmm. Were you daunted by needing to do that? Was that a big step for you at that stage? Goodness, yes. I was very anxious about leaving home, I guess, and Bundaberg and just moving to another place where I didn't know anyone. So, you know, it's common here that for me, I'd gone to primary school and high school with the same sort of cohort of people. Uh, So, yeah, I was, yeah, a little little worrywart basically when it came to leaving, but um, with a little bit of a helpful push from my parents who saw obviously the value in doing that I did make it through (laughs) the first sort of six months and yeah was very happy that I did do that now in retrospect but yeah it was touch and go there for a little while because Bundaberg was obviously smaller than it is now and those places seemed very far away we didn't have the same kind of way to communicate with um, family and things that we we do now Caitlin, you went to high school in Mount Morgan. Mount Morgan's a pretty small place. How many people were in your year at school? Um, so in my graduating year 12 class or grade, the whole of grade 12 at my school, there were about 13 people. <laughs> so how many of those were able to stay on in Mount Morgan and how many have left to explore opportunities elsewhere? Well, I'd say um, a lot of them are still around Mount Morgan, whether it's just Grace Mare or Rockhampton. That's um, about 20 and 40 minutes away from Mount Morgan. I think there might be a couple, maybe, that have moved further than that. But yeah, everyone's pretty much stayed in the same place. Why did you move? Because you left and, and headed to Rockhampton. What took you there? Um, so while I was living in Mount Morgan, I started steps at CQU and... For steps, for most of it anyway, I travelled back and forth from Mount, from Mount Morgan to Rockhampton each day for lessons um, or lectures. But then um, towards the end of it, I found Indigenous Uni Housing, which was just off campus, about a block away. And so that really helped me. That was my first step into moving out of home and into Rocky. For those people who aren't aware, explain to me what the STEPS program is. So Wendy can probably give you a better view on this, um, <laughs> but... It was basically, it's a bridging course to get into a university degree if you haven't done your OP or say your OP's expired. I never did my OP during school. So I think three years later, I'd worked in a couple of jobs and nothing had really fit. And I thought, 
I wanted to do university early in high school and just this is the first opportunity I thought I am ready for it. So yeah, I started steps in I think 2013, end of 2013. How did you find the experience? I loved steps. Um, it was just what I thought the uni experience was, <laughs> whether that's from watching movies or talking to people. Um, it was great. I made a great support network at the university doing the same classes as I was doing. The people running the classes, all the all the lecturers were very supportive and they were happy to help with everything. Um, and yeah, I made a great lot of friends through it. So when you completed this bridging program and you were ready to undertake a degree, you did a degree via distance education. How did you find that experience and how different was it to the STEPS experience for you? For one, I think STEPS wasn't quite as intense as university, as the units in university. So that part there was a little bit daunting on its, on its own, but I could have dealt with that. But then doing it online was a bit difficult because I didn't know anyone that was doing it, doing the same course as me. I put on the, there was a chat for that class and I put on there that um, I was interested in joining any study groups because that's what I did um, with steps and that really helped me. But no one replied to that and it was difficult to find anyone else that was doing my same course. So there was the lack of support, I guess, and the online study was a little bit more difficult to navigate because you could ask your friend, oh, I couldn't find this online. How, where did you find it? And just even tiny things like that being missing. It sounds like it was quite an isolating experience. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I just got sick of being broke and this job in Bundaberg came up. So I pushed it aside and that's where I am. <laughs> Wendy, we were talking a little bit before about youth drain, which is quite common in regional communities all throughout Australia, that those looking to do further study often need to leave their hometown in order to do so. What impact have you seen youth drain have on Bundaberg and the community that you live in? Oh, I think it's definitely a, a thing. I think it's definitely a phenomenon. I think a lot of young people still leave Bundaberg to go to university or further education somewhere and I think the tendency is then not to return because the jobs that they've trained for there's more opportunities obviously in, in bigger centres as well. I think some people do come back but it might be after s some time so my own experience was like 10 years away then come back and you're not in that same youth demographic then much as you'd like to think you might be. Uh, <laughs> And I think that that still happens today. Like we have a much stronger opportunity here for tertiary education in the region. So I think it might just be a little bit delayed that young people are leaving. So they might do their undergraduate degree here and then they might go. So it might be we still have a cohort of um, young people in the community up to about the age of you know, 19, 20, 21, and then they might decide to move elsewhere in search of work because obviously employment is a big factor in terms of where you stay as well. So I think that definitely changes what the, how the community feels and, and how it operates. And I don't know if there's a solution to that, but I think it's just something living in this community that you have to be aware of 
Wendy, you were away for nearly 10 years mm. studying and working. What brought you back to Bundaberg? Why after all those years? Yeah, uh, a few things. Um, one was I actually came back here because I wanted to do further study. And I think slightly different to Caitlin's experience because I'd had a on-campus quite positive experience at uni I was more prepared to study by distance education because you sort of know the the ropes of how an undergrad degree works if you've had that shared experience with other people face to face which is a really good thing so I came back to study but I also came back for um, cost of living was one big thing so obviously not as expensive to live here as it is in um, say Brisbane or else further afield and also um, yeah quality of life and family brought me back. I really enjoy now the fact that I don't live permanently in a big city. Wendy as a classical musician talent and obviously being around other talent is something that's really crucial to the creative development and I I imagine the fulfillment in life is the town that you live in do you feel it's a cultural desert are you surrounded by the talent that you need I think we're really fortunate here in terms of classical music it's not a cultural desert at all Bundaberg's had a really long history over probably the last 40 to 50 years of being fortunate enough to have excellent teachers come and be based in the region with Education Queensland. Um, They've had really strong community groups with Bundaberg Youth Orchestra and then adult groups as well. So one of the reasons I was happy to come back here is that I knew there was an active classical music scene, if you like, that I would be able to be involved in and that's proved to be the case. So I also think sometimes People think all the opportunities are in the metropolitan areas. I think sometimes if you're in a smaller community, you get more opportunity to do things that you may not get a look in at if you were in a bigger centre. So I really enjoy living here for that reason. So I have heaps of opportunity to play the violin and the piano with other really great people who've chosen to stay here and teach and play and perform. And, um, you know, we're not professionals, but we, we work hard together to make music together for ourselves and we really enjoy it. Caitlin, what are the challenges facing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in getting an education, in getting to that tertiary study, in getting to university and bridging the gap that we hear so much about? So I think um, obviously a lot of them are the same obstacles that non-Indigenous people face, but um, I guess some is in our culture or it might just happen to be that family is very important to us and it could just be that people are overwhelmed with the thought of leaving their family. It could be that they have responsibilities with their family. Also, I think not so much just with Indigenous people but with um, young people in general, I think, especially in smaller towns, like where I grew up, um, people weren't made aware of... Like, people... We thought to ourselves, oh, I'd love to go study in Brisbane or Melbourne and experience all of that. But then, obviously, money is a huge factor in that. And it's how am I going to afford to live there, especially if I'm so far away from my family? They they can't just drive, what, 20 hours to come help me out with something, whether my car breaks down or... Yeah, so just lack of knowledge of resources out there. Um, I think maybe whether it's people need to 
universities need to be traveling to these small towns and letting people know that there is uni housing even just food cost is an issue there's this available to you um say you need furniture for your tiny unit that you're able to afford <laughs> to pay for then um there's these things um uh also i think another thing might be either high or low expectations that youth are facing whether it's they're being told some families have problems and they might be t being told that you're not good enough for this you can't do this um and there's some people that might be told, you're better than this, you could be doing this, um, you're amazing at this, but then they don't want to be doing that type of thing. They're looking for something else that lights their fire within. Or <laughs> yeah, so I think expectations is a big thing. Also, I think within Indigenous families or communities and with non-Indigenous communities, um, I think tall poppy syndrome is also a huge thing. I don't know, people want to put you down if they're not able to achieve what you're able to achieve. And so I think that plays a huge part in why some people might not look for further study. When you were growing up, did you have many opportunities to go to the city and experience what life is like there or have an orientation of what a university campus experience might be or pursue and have a really clear idea of what those education possibilities might be? Not really. I don't know if it's uh, just a general thing that at all schools or just in mine, but we were only really told of the possibilities, just the generic things, like you can be a doctor, a policeman, um, you can be a nurse if you want to, if you're not willing to do the doctor's degree, um, you could be a teacher. But there's things like HR and just smaller, still just as important positions within companies that people aren't made aware of that they could eventually be passionate about but just don't know about. Wendy, do you think regional students have more challenges in getting an education than city-based students? Uh, I don't know if we... I probably wouldn't say more challenges, but I think the challenges are very different. And I think Caitlin said there about understanding what opportunities are out there, like that communication getting to regional students is something that's absolutely key and may not happen as well as it needs to still so what she just described was exactly my experience too and we're probably of you know two different generations you know you're either going to do medicine or law or be a teacher or be a nurse and a vet and that's about as far as it went like what it was to study business or public relations or you know like I, I just was not aware of those things like what would a communications degree do for you I had no idea on leaving school I see now, like working in education, there's more opportunities for students to do, you know, certificates, you know, one, two and three in, in things like hospitality and engineering and furnishing and like aviation, those kind of things are available. But still sometimes it's very easy for students to get to the end of year, year 12 and have really not a lot of idea on one, what they would like to do, and two, what's out there. But I just do think the other thing that is a challenge is that that geographical distance, that change in distance um, that you have to, to take still to, to do some things. And, you know, finances and things are always going to be a factor. If you can't, you know, it's a great advantage to someone, I think, living in the city, if they can live at home through their university degree, that's an immense cost that's been 
been saved. Caitlin, you work a lot with young people, both in your role as teaching language, but also working in an organisation that's involved with youth work. Tell us a little bit about what you do for that organisation. Um, yep, so it's called Young People Making a Difference. And for that, I am a senior leader. So that basically means that I have gone from being a participant that showed up knowing nothing about this organisation, this is a crazy place, um, <laughs> what is happening here, to then eventually um, going through leadership training and now uh, a few years after doing leadership, I'm in a stage where I can train other leaders. So that's what a um, senior leader is. I'm also a support person, so I take young people from Bundy High to these camps. Um, myself and two others support those students. Um, and I'm also president of the organisation or of the committee. With all of the young people that you work with across those two roles, how important do you see education is in securing a good and bright future for these students? I think it's very important. Um, is it essential? Is university the be all and end all? I don't think it is at all. Um, there are a lot of young people that school is just not for them they hate it whether it's they're being bullied or just they can't handle handle the study load um there are great people out there that have done great things earning billions of dollars that don't have any university degrees and so we tell our people at these camps because they're having really tough experience uh or in our support group anyway we've got one girl where we've basically She's finished up at school and as long as they have goals and they know what they want to do in the future or they know something about what they want to do or are willing to research or look into something to be doing with themselves, I don't think that education's the be-all and end-all. But I do think it's very important, um, obviously, in certain types of work that you'd like to get into. Um, you can't be a surgeon without it, obviously. Um, and what about yourself personally, Caitlin? You always seem very animated and excited about the work that you're doing now. And your first attempt at tackling a degree wasn't what you expected. What do you think will happen in the future for you? Is, is further study something on your horizon? Um, yes, I think since primary school, I've always wanted to go to university and get a, get a degree. No one in my family, I don't think at all has one. I've got a few family members that have done the same as me, started and dropped out. But um, we're very passionate people and we get passionate about a lot of things. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just at the stage where I'm deciding what I want to spend four years doing. <laughs> I don't want to finish a degree and then hate it, <laughs> hate what I'm doing. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm just basically at a point where I'm deciding what I'd like to do. And Wendy, the youth unemployment rate in Bundaberg is absolutely shocking. So we've got 27, 28% of our youth population are unemployed. What do you think we can do to help support young people get the education opportunities that they need to make their futures a little bit more brighter? Oh, so tricky, such a big question. I guess working now in a, a school, you know, like a lot of students are really engaged with their education, but school does not fit everybody, unfortunately. And so I see, you see students every day who have, completely disengaged with that system and I just sometimes feel that there needs to be more 
some kind of flexibility there for students and who I've encountered and taught who are really bright and have a lot of talents and a lot of untapped skills that the education system is not going to realise for them. And those are probably, I'm really generalising now, those kids are probably very likely to get to the end of Year 12 because they think they have to finish Year 12. Their education won't have been a positive experience, so they're not going to be highly employable. But if there had been some other way in school for them to not sit in subjects every day that they are bored with and they dislike, but get out there and do some kind of project work or whatever it might be that would lead them into developing some skills that they could take with them even if they leave the area and move somewhere else. We've skilled them up enough that they are employable. You know, So I don't know what the answer is. You know, no system is perfect, but I think with our education system in Queensland at the moment, we've got to, as like educators have to try and accommodate not accommodate but be flexible and be supportive of kids who don't fit into the square that we're trying you know that the bulk of kids are capable of fitting into and going to school every day for me as an educator it's about finding some way to make a point of contact with them so that they will walk away from that class or that experience thinking well that was all right and there might be a glimmer of hope that they would re-engage with education in some form at some point in the future. You've been listening to Mama's Kitchen, presented and produced by me, Trudy Ligo. This podcast has been made possible by the fabulous folks at Creative Regions and with the generous support of the WOW Regional Voice Program, the Tim Fairfax Family Foundation and ABC Wide Bay. You've also been listening to One More Round by David Seste from the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening in.